0: Hey, it's Mike. You're listening to Intergalactic, the podcast about the greatest sci fi movies and TV of all time. This is another episode of our series called Essential Sci fi Movies, your guide to the best films in the genre. And I'm here with Joel Sharpton
1: from Articulate Coven. What is up, Joel? Hey, thanks, Mike. I am so excited to be, listen, I was excited to be on the show anyway, because I've always wanted to do a podcast episode with you. And then I went and listened to several of your previous episodes and the, the pedigree of your guests. I'm like, oh, oh, Mike thinks I know about movies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've heard some of your stuff. And I think if there's one thing that's true about you, Joel, you can talk.
1: Uh, that is that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. I am I a am, uh, I, per, for, my, for my day job, I'm a podcast producer and editor and consultant. Uh, I work with a lot of brands and businesses across the country, and I got a few international clients as well, uh, honing their message to, to produce great podcasts and now a lot of video as well. Um, in my off time though, or my spare time, I uh, I do cover uh, with the Articulate Coven we talk about Interview with the Vampire, the series from AMC and AMC Plus, but we also talk about um, all of Anne Rice's broader world. I've been a fan of the Vampire Lestat and and Anne Rice's writing since the summer before I turned 12. <laughs> I was reading those books far mm-hmm. too early. There was a, a fight at the library with my mother and the head librarian because I wasn't supposed to be able to check out adult <laughs> books and mom said. That if he can read the words, he can have the book. Thank you very much. Give him the adult ah. card and so I did. I got an adult card when I was like eleven years old and started reading these books and props to mom. yeah, I listen I was you asked me before we started where I'm from i'm I'm in North Louisiana, Ruston Louisiana yeah. specifically, and it's kind of like the the buckle of the Bible belt and my mom and dad were fairly fundamentalist, but my mom was also an educator and so there I literally like one of the rules in my house was there's no such thing as a bad book. There's no such thing as an evil, uh bit of knowledge, you know, Nice. and I am forever thankful for that. Now, I think we're going to talk about it in this episode, uh, one way where maybe my mother and father exposed me to something, perhaps a bit too young. <laughs> what are we talking about in this episode, Mike? This week, we're covering one of the
0: best, maybe the best sci-fi action movie of the 80s, of all time, maybe. It's got Arnold. It's got Carl Weathers. It's got Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah, it's time to talk about 1987's Predator. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before.
1: We cannot see it. But it sees the heat of our bodies. And the heat of our fear. It kills for pleasure. It hunts for sport. But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. He is the ultimate warrior. If he is to destroy it, he must become
0: more than a man. More than an animal.
1: He must become the very spirit of the Predator. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. Soon the hunt will begin.
0: All right, before we dive into it, let me roll some credits here. Uh, Predator, for anybody who hasn't seen it, please watch it. It's a 1987 action sci fi film. No, let me do that again. It is the 1987 action sci fi film. Directed by John McTiernan, written by two brothers, Jim Thomas and John Thomas, and of course, Stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dutch, the uh, cigar-chomping leader of a muscle-bound paramilitary rescue team. His team includes Jesse the Body Ventura, Bill Duke, Richard Chavez, Sonny Landham, and Shane Black. Along for the ride are Elpidia Carrillo and, of course, the legend, rest in power, Carl Weathers. Uh, Kevin Peter Hall plays the Predator. Predators, Voice voiced by Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Optimus Prime. I didn't know that till uh, this, this rewatch. And the film follows Dutch and his crew as they fight for their lives against the alien predator in the Central American rainforest. Joel, this movie, I've seen it so much. It's, uh, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA. What's your overall opinion of this movie? What's your origin story with this movie?
1: It was winter of 1988, January 21st, specifically, when this was released on VHS. My dad was, uh, uh, which, by the way, just literally as we're recording this, he's been gone two years now uh, due to Alzheimer's. Mm. When he was young and able-bodied man, he was a carpenter and a contractor, and he never could keep helpers because he was an ornery fellow to work with. But he had one guy that worked with him basically for like 25 years, this this guy named David Hart. And David was a big movie buff. In particular, he loved action and he loved sci-fi. And so this was right up his alley. It had come out on video, and he came to work the next day crowing about it. Oh, Jimmy, you got to watch this thing. It was amazing, man. They got everybody's in it. Jesse the Body Ventura, that wrestler's in it. You know, <laughs> and so Dad immediately went and rented the thing and brought it home. Well, he knew now. My mom, my, our whole family would get together. By the way, let's give you some background. We'd get together and sit in the in the living room. Mm-hmm. Me, my sister. I'm six at this point. By the way, my oh. sister then was four. We'd get together oh. and watch uh, <laughs> Die Hard together as a family in the living room. Again, we I say, see, oh. Yeah, we couldn't see boobies, but heavy machine gun fire was no problem. Sure, Mike, that was no problem at all. That was Jesus's own machine gunning, probably. So, (laughs) he but he knew this one was going to be bloody. David had told him it was bloody, and it was all about aliens. My mom was never a sci-fi person, really, so mom's not going to be interested in this one. But he knew I was a huge Arnold fan, and Mm. I always have been. Arnold Schwarzenegger has always loomed large in my life. I I love I love him so much, like. I I when I watch Demolition Man and they make the joke about how we changed the constitution to let Arnold Schwarzenegger be president. I'm a Democrat. I'd absolutely go behind that. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, all right. Same. That's how much I love him. Okay. Same. So so dad comes home with this movie and he's like, let's watch this Arnold Schwarzenegger fight in the alien movie. I'm like, great. So the two of us go to my bedroom. We watch this on a 13-inch, you know, tube TV in the winter of 88, I am literally six and a half years old. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Wow. I don't, here's what's weird. I I always did have like existential nightmares as a kid. I contemplated like eternity and stuff. I never had nightmares though about like aliens or monsters or or It was never Dracula or the boogeyman or anything like that. I was literally. Or a a laser beam blown off your right arm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, being fundamentalist, honestly, it was like I would be in heaven and all my loved ones would be in hell. And I I was laughing the (gasps) other day with my kids about the fact that I never once considered that I might go to hell and everybody else might go to heaven. It was always (laughs) the other way around. Anyway. So this didn't affect me negatively in that way. I don't think my wife would argue perhaps that I was scarred forever, uh, by seeing this, this violence, but this is just like a perfect encapsulation of eighties action movies. It was exact. this is like all the things that we liked in that period. And we, we joke about it a lot, but there is something to the superhero nature of the Rambos and the, and you know, it's, it's Sly and it's Arnie, but it's also, there were a handful of other pretenders, right? It's the Van Damme movies that come a little bit later. It's the Steven Seagal's. It's all of these guys that follow in that it's the, it's the low rent ones like Chuck Norris too. But all of those movies are speaking to something that we're still speaking to with the MCU and the DC movies. And, you know, look at what John Wick It is basically. John Wick is just this with better styling. Like it's 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 all that same flow through. And what is it about the American culture that we want giant oversized heroes to come and save the day? I don't know, but I, I think it does speak to something on like a very fundamental level of our being as a culture. Um and clearly these movies seem to do well overseas too. So it's not just American culture. I think it's it's worldwide. We we want bigger than life heroes. And boy, this movie is full of them. You mentioned a lot of the great actors, by the way, but I want to point out a couple here that I feel like you didn't play up quite as much. Bill Duke in this movie. Mm. Okay. Bill Duke is so underappreciated because most of the time he's playing a heavy, uh, corrupt cop, you know, something like that. Like that's the role that you see Bill Duke in most often, but here he's this crazy, tag team with him and Jesse body Ventura Blaine. So it's, uh, you know, he's Blaine, Bill Duke plays Mac. Um, but there's, there's a scene after Blaine is murdered, uh, by the predator after we see him, you know, die Mac, Bill Duke grabs up the, the minigun and he, you know, races into the jungle. And then there's like, A crying monologue in the rain? Anyway, right up here front, right up on on Front Street, I want to say, is the homoeroticism in this movie not a subtext, but actually a text? You know, it can easily be read
0: that way. And I think in my latest rewatch, I was really tempted to read it that way. I'm not sure if John McTiernan was trying to put that on Front Street, but you know what? If you want to read it that way, it's there. And I'm not going to say you're wrong at all, because that's the magic of this movie. Once these strong men who are the best of the best become the prey, then we dig deep into their emotional lives and selves, and that starts coming out. And we see things like that scene where Bill Duke is almost crying over Jesse the Body Ventura's body and then going out and just exploding his rage all over the jungle like he does. I I really do love Bill Duke in this this movie, like you said, because I feel like there's not that much on the page for the character that he plays, but man, does he do stuff with it, like this whole shaving thing and just the little tics and mannerisms and what he does with his face acting makes that character just deep. It's like, what has this motherfucker been through? It's, right? It's excellent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and you—it's not just uh, Bill Duke's character. I don't think there's much on the page for any of these characters. Yeah, uh, and and I mean, I think. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So I've heard apocryphally. Tell me if you've heard this story too. This, this script was like snuck into the studio and stuck under mm-hmm. his door, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, uh,
1: and and then obviously you've got Shane Black in the cast he's not officially credited but you you can't imagine that he wasn't involved in punching some of this up as well particularly his own dialogue but probably everybody right. else too um and you those combinations of factors would probably make this an okay movie but i th- i thought as i wa- rewatched it this time specifically what if you took out arnold and you put in michael bean mm. Uh, Michael Bean would be someone closer to, I mean, and you think about like the reason they put him in the protagonist role against Arnie in Terminator. You know, you've got Arnold, which is just, as you mentioned in the Prey uh, episode where you discuss the, the the latest movie in this franchise, um, you know, Arnold is this just unkillable machine and you you can't. You don't ever. It's the reason why he wouldn't work in Die Hard, right? You need to think that John McClane's not going to make it out of that building for Die Hard to really be the classic that it is. If you had Arnold or even Sly, you don't buy into it in the same way, right? Um, and in this movie, it subverts that by giving you this like not just Arnold but there's a whole team Carl Weathers is every bit as big as Arnold is when they do the famous handshake and they're they, you know they pump biceps that guy is gigantic in this movie Jesse the body Ventura at the height of his fame with the WWF monster huge guy Bill Duke is this giant guy and then you've got oh my god Sonny Landom. that's the other one we want to talk about apocryphal stories yeah. So what I had always heard is <laughs> Arnold, I believe, had to actually pay for a couple of bodyguards to follow Sonny around, not to protect Sonny, but because Sonny was known for getting into bar fights and stirring up trouble with the talent in other movies, and otherwise wow. they couldn't get him insured. So, so Sonny is like a real life bad guy, you know, like he he is a he is a bad man on his own. Playing <laughs> killing here, by the way, I should say.
0: I'm um, glad they went through all that trouble because his presence in this movie is just like iconic.
1: But that's what I'm saying. You can't, there's, you know, there's a, in basketball, they talk about like value over replacement player, right? So like LeBron's value over just a standard guy in the league is off the charts, right? If he's, if he's filling in that role, it's not a little bit of a help. It's a major help. This is every single player here has huge huge value over a replacement player you take some generic or even some like michael bean for instance is i think a very good actor and i think he'd do a great job as dutch but it's not the classic we're not talking about it it doesn't spawn a franchise that's still making new movies better movies 30 years later if you don't have everybody in place here that this cast is what does it it is, and Michael Bean is great. But Michael Bean, especially at this
0: time, you're like, okay, Michael Bean is is an action hero, but he's the action hero who bleeds. So if I'm going to pay for a Michael pay my pay for my ticket to watch a Michael Bean movie, I know he's going to get the shit kicked out of him and bleed, and then he'll he'll maybe he'll uh, win in the end. With Arnold, it's like, nah, you can't you can't touch Arnold. That's what's so great about this movie. This movie is an uncompromising, brutal celebration. Of on-screen violence and survivalist warfare that never backs down from showing you the goriest, the most bloody imagery it can imagine, and somehow it's still a super fun popcorn movie that you can screen for a packed theater and the audience will eat it up. You can screen this like like your experience made. And you know, I hear it and I'm like, oh my god, six years old, but it kind of makes sense because it's like it feels like a movie families grew up watching together.
1: It's just that much fun. Well, this movie, especially in the eighties, this, this style of like schlocky it's gore, but not like the gore. Wasn't the point. The gore was to show you, uh, how radical this, uh, enemy or threat that we're facing is right. That's the Mm, way that I think about it. And it's not like this has, nothing like the tone of a nightmare on Elm street or a Friday right. the 13th movie. Right. Which is, uh, you know, analogous that's coming out around the same time. The other thing that I think about is, and honestly, in my head, I wondered if James Cameron hadn't seen this and gone, Oh, this is what we do to the alien franchise. But I went back and looked aliens comes out in 86. I don't mm. think the timing is right for this to have really been influenced by aliens directly, but, you, I do think there's something an analogous about this team fighting this this monster, whereas you've got the Space Marines, which are so fun and and so varied, right? You've got all of those different personalities and aliens uh, from James Cameron, and I do think there's something to that. But really, it, both of those movies, uh, this and the Aliens, are just influenced as a like ongoing part of the men on a mission series, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, it's the Dirty Dozen. It's, uh, I mean, Tarantino did it with Inglorious Bastards. It's just about what are these varied badasses facing?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I love how the movie plays with audience expectations, especially of the time. And it completely subverts them and delivers something really unexpected, but still enormously crowd-pleasing. Like, the late 80s was Arnold's time. Everyone knew Arnold as this unstoppable charismatic alpha male um those were the characters he played but it it just also who he was in real life and at the start of the movie that's what we get he rolls in on the chopper with a team of gnarly badasses and he's the biggest badass of the most badass team of badasses just sitting in the chopper chomping his cigar and through the first half of the movie you get what you pay for it's an Arnold jungle military movie there's an incredibly violent and ridiculously but awesomely staged assault on enemy cartel village and the good guys just mow the bad guys down like like the kings of the jungle we expect them to be there's there's no bad guy that goes unblown up and our heroes do it all while making quips and displaying these incredible feats of strength. I think Arnold like lifts the back of a truck at one point. It's amazing. These are the alpha males of the planet, but so much changes immediately after that crazy raid. When the predator starts to stalk them, the script is flipped and these, these ultimate tough guys become the hunted. They become the prey and you know finally they see they meet a credible threat against them and this team that's supposed to be the best of the best the untouchables become the prey and we see them running scared and confused and and then it gets really interesting because as they are hunted and picked off one by one by one the movie starts revealing whole new layers to these characters that make them more compelling make the losses feel like real losses it does it just does this great action movie trope subversion and then starts pulling off to great effect tropes of a slasher movie, of stalker movies, just brilliantly until we get to that unforgettable clash between Arnold and the Predator. So when you when you were, maybe not your first viewing of this as a six-year-old, but you know- <laughs> I you probably was probably not very deep. <laughs> yeah. You've seen this multiple times. Like- How did you feel about that subversion, where it's all of a sudden Arnold and the tough guys are are outmatched uh, here for the first time? How'd that? How did you take that?
1: Oh, it's 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 my favorite thing, and and the thing that I like best about this this entire movie, honestly, is that it is the perfect encapsulation of the. You know, admission that we uh, admonition that we give to screenwriters to show us, don't tell us. Right? This mm, movie doesn't yeah. tell us yes. anything. This movie doesn't tell us anything about these characters. It just shows us again and again and again and again and again different facets, as you mentioned, about each one of these characters. There's one thing. Let's go back slightly before the predator actually begins to stalk them. I want to talk about that attack on the village. Two things there. Yeah. First and foremost, I always remember that attack that that assault. I almost like even now as I'm calling it to mind in my in my memory I don't see any of the rebels like you talked about them being wiped out so completely but they literally might as well not be there it might as well be like an empty series of huts with just the hostage that they eventually add and as they pick up Anna and take her along but the the moment there though. Before that assault starts, I want to call attention to this because it's my favorite thing really about the 80s heroes. When we think about these 80s action heroes and that whole craze, we think about the giant muscles and the steroids. But the other thing that was important that separated the heroes from the other characters in the movies, because generally the bad guys were giant too. The reason why the heroes were rooted for. Is because they were smart. Yes, we yeah. did want them to kill lots of objectively bad guys and quip something cool afterwards. But we also loved MacGyver at that same time, right? With the yeah. moment when Bruce Willis sends the guy down in the elevator in Die Hard with the ho-ho-ho, now I have a machine gun on him. That sign is so awesome because it's clever. You know, Arnold sees Chekhov's pickup truck there being used as a mill or whatever they were using it for. And he being not only strong, but smart, right? This shows off both. He lifts the truck up. You're right. He picks it up by the back end and then sets it down. The rest of the team not only couldn't do it themselves, but they literally wouldn't know what Jesse Ventura says out loud. What's he doing? because he doesn't understand the plan. The plan was, I'm going to let this truck free. It'll roll down through the village. It'll probably run over a couple of people, cause a bunch of chaos. Meanwhile, they're all looking the other way while we shoot the shit out of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, it is a really clever move. Um, not only on the character's part, but yeah, on, uh, in the screenplay, because it's, it could have been pretty generic. They just walk in and mow everybody down, but there's this clever move that, Dutch does at the beginning that gives them an opening. And from then on, it's just like, bloody chaos and And it's
1: important though it's important because it's a foreshadowing of the fact that not only is Arnold the smartest one on the team he's the smartest one on the planet planet he's the smartest predator in the jungle even though the alien is there now too and that and it's going to be his intelligence in the end that gets him out of this you know it's he's not going to be stronger or faster or his guns bigger even though as you mentioned in the prey episode he's got giant guns one on either even when he loses the guns he's got explosives and other yeah absolutely he never loses weapons and yet he's outmatched in all those areas in the end it's his smarts that gets him the the win and i think that's important i think that is one of the reasons why these movies still hold up we poke at their tropes and they are dumb in a lot of i've got a i've got a list on letterbox that i call big dumb awesome action this is right at the top of it only to be superseded honestly by commando which i think is like if if there was a Plato's, you know, perfect form of the action movie, Commando is it. This is a close second.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this comes this comes shortly after uh, Commando. It's interesting to note that about Dutch, um, the character Arno plays. He survives at the end by playing it smart mm. and getting in touch with... I think you can kind of read it as he's getting in touch with his primal roots right yes uh, instead of relying on on tech or the big guns he had earlier because clearly those things will not save him even if he did have them in the in the final scenes they, they won't help him he really has to surrender to his environment and study it and study the thing that's hunting him in order to survive he that's Incredibly foreshadowed, like you said, with the thing with the truck at the beginning. And the fact that he has to he has to rely on his environment, get to know it, and use the primal elements that are around him to win and to study this predator in order to beat it. That's a theme that is repeated brilliantly in Prey, where Amber Mid- Midthunder's character is the only one in peril in that movie to survive because she's the one who's the most in touch with her environment. In that case, the, the Great Plains. And she's the only one in the movie who patiently studies a predator and who knows what the best defense against it is. And, you know, she knows when to retreat and she knows the only way to beat it is to be stealthy and use the land, you know, whatever you can gather from the land. And that's I, I what I love about Prey. There's so many things to love about it, but it's so different from this movie, but it also celebrates the greatest parts of this movie, like that theme of being a person who is being stalked and hunted, but also using your wits, using um, your history, and using essentially what you have around you to beat the thing that's hunting you. I think Parade does a great job
1: of celebrating that part of this movie, and this movie does that so well. You know, Arnold's got this great team with him, And he never misuses them. And he always adopts their knowledge or wisdom or like their tactic that's worked, right? I feel like he, mm-hmm. he shows himself to be an excellent leader in this movie, because as it goes on, especially as he ends up alone, he is using the best parts of what his entire team had to offer. And I think that's exactly the same thing that you see in pray. You know, she's a curious character. She is not only an intelligent character, but curious. And that is what the two of them have most in common. I (laughs) funny side note, my wife is literally physically uncomfortable at the sight of the of the antagonist from this series. She can't see the predator, even with his mask on, by the way. (laughs) She can't see the predator without she, listen, she likes the predator so little. She can't watch the Lord of the Rings movies because the orcs are reminiscent in her mind of the predator's look. So it's like, no, 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 no. no. So I, I, this is just something that I have to do on my own. When I watched Prey when it came out on, on Hulu, whenever that was, I watched it and then like immediately rewatched it in the Comanche dub, which by the way, have you watched that yet? since the not yet said okay no genuinely go check it out everything that your co-host said about that drawing you more into the world of the film it really really does i had doubts and i'm glad they did it i wish they had just shot it in comanche which is their original goal and the studio kind of shot it down my hope is that if we ever get a sequel it will be comanche first and then give us an english dub if you want to on streaming or whatever for those that won't watch subtitles but um Anyway, my point is that movie, I got done with it, and I immediately said they've done such a good job of putting Mid Thunder right on the level with Arnold. You don't finish that movie and think about the subversion of such a small and weak character fighting and and winning against a predator. You think this series is all about how resourceful, curious, intelligent, you know, fighters. Can withstand even this ultimate fighting species, <laughs> you know. And honestly, I think there have been bad ones. I know you do, you don't care for Predator Two, but I feel like Predator Two does that thing exactly the same way. Like Danny Glover is outmatched from Go, and the especially now, like having it set in the near future and LA's a war zone, and all that's all nonsense, but there are so many good parts of that movie. And I think the ending in the spaceship when, you know, you get the, the respect from the predators as they, as they reward Danny Glover with the, with the, uh, the gun. I think that is the moment that makes this entire franchise worthwhile. It's like, we're weak and small in the great, you know, cosmic span of the universe, but humanity has something that I mean, mm-hmm. and I, if you look at other sci-fi franchises, some of them, you know, they joke about humanity as being like a, like, like an infestation on the universe that kind of like corrodes and goes. But I, I think there is, I mean, and maybe it's just our own self-centered nature, but I think there is something to it. Our curiosity, our willingness to adapt and our ability to adapt and evolve um, in whatever circumstances we're faced with and to overcome. And honestly, to me, like I leave a movie like that feeling hopeful about like not only my personal life, like, oh, I'll be able to come over, you know, overcome those hardships that I'm facing, but like society at large, like, yeah, maybe we might actually solve climate change someday. Like (laughs) maybe we won't blow up the earth actually, and we'll make it off this rock before the heat death of the universe or whatever, you know?
0: You know, I, I agree. I mean, I think, um, especially the third acts and the triumph of these movies, they're aspirational, right? Yes you see the the best parts of humanity went out against an unrelenting force and and especially in this first movie you're not even sure of the motivation of the predator it's not really explained in the text all you know is that it's something that you have to be res- extremely resourceful uh to overcome so yeah everything you said is is i totally agree with it that the predator you mentioned the predator uh, the look, the vibe, the predator alien monster itself, I think it's kind of a bonkers miracle because uh, <laughs> yes. the, the the creature is teased through most of the movie, which is so smart with this unsettling camo effect.
1: It's like and even less get, than Jaws. I mean, that's the yeah. classic, right? As though we don't so, show the shark very much, but like you don't see the predator at all until like 46 minutes in. Yeah, I know, it takes forever, but it, it's, it's so worth it. We get glimpses
0: of the head armor, we get glimpses of the scaly flesh and the slimy Dracula fingers and the Dago blood, and it's like, man, I wonder what this thing really looks like head on. And finally, 45 minutes later, when you see it, it does not disappoint when this thing finally reveals itself full frontal <laughs> to Arnold at the end. The, the design... The realization of that design is so great. The mandibles, the, the, mandibles, the dreads, man. the there tiny eyes.
1: It's just so horrifying. Ugh, There's something primal about the mandibles and the way it affects you as a human. I mean, like literally, I don't know if there's something in our ancient past <laughs> with, with something that bit us like that, but homie, that will never fail to stun me and it so holds up to like god bless stan winston so mm-hmm. this if you don't if you're listening to this and you don't know some of the backstory absolutely go if you're interested in these movies you should go google um you know the predator suit or predator design or something like that and you'll get all sorts of deep dives on this but the original plan like they were going to put a monkey in a suit and have it swing through the trees so that they could get acrobatic movement at one point uh oh, yeah. there was going to be uh, Jean- Claude-, Jean Claude Van Damme was going to be in the right. suit at one point, and yeah. he was so short in comparison to everybody, it looked silly. Uh, you know, then this they got the suit there, the first suit design, and it looked horrible. So they were like, never mind, we'll shoot around it and stand, go back to work on it. I think he p- came in late on the project, even. Um, so
0: he did, it yeah, is he a miracle. Was in the first- yeah, he didn't design the first iteration of the suit. He designed, like, maybe the second or third, and then he won an Oscar for the effects. I mean, oh, no, he was nominated for an Oscar. He didn't win his Oscar until a few years later. But, yeah, this is
1: an Oscar-nominated uh, movie. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think, though, like, okay, so Prey obviously evolves this design quite a bit because you're going back in time, as you guys mentioned, especially the tech and the suit is a lot different. Yeah. Um, And all of the movies have slightly tweaked the design, but the basic design of the Predator goes all the way back to this Stan Winston creation. And it's held up through, you know, books and comic books and movies and animated stuff and all over the place. And like... I mean, they made they made action figures over and over again, right? Like this is a great design. This is a classic, unbelievable movie monster design that will be mimicked and copied and and you know massaged and evolved for decades to come. I think. And it works so well in
0: this setting, in the jungle setting with the first movie, because you you have the uh, the prisoner character that they have. Who can't describe what is going on. She's the only one who sees the predator attack at the beginning. And the only way she can describe it is that the jungle came to life and killed this guy. And and that, that breaks everybody's brain. Nobody can understand what she's talking about. But until you see it. And that rings so true for this movie because it feels so claustrophobic in the jungle. There's no like as a viewer, you don't really have any sense of topography or it it just feels like they're trapped. And it does feel like any part of the jungle can come alive and grab them and do these horrible things to them. And that becomes true as the movie goes on. And it it builds this great amount of tension. And the tension rises more and more and more because you don't know who's going to be picked off next. Even Carl Weathers, who is great in this movie super charismatic and set up uh he's his character is set up for a redemption arc in the movie because he's he's the guy you really can't trust at the beginning he posits himself in the middle of this team that works alone and then obviously he's holding things back and he lies about the entire mission and really gets them in in a heap of trouble and once so much shit goes down he gets a scene where he's like you know you guys go ahead, I'm going to go back and take care of this thing. And he wants to redeem himself. And you're like, okay, cool, a redemption arc. Nope, he immediately gets his arm blown off and he gets murdered because this movie is just unrelenting in in showing you how unbeatable this creature is. And it just makes it so tense.
1: Well, and it does such a good job of the slow, so so it's not only that they slow reveal the monster itself, but they slow reveal what the monster is capable of too, right? So the first thing, and I always forget this, by the way, but one of the first shots of the film, I think like the first shot is the spaceship. So we learn he's from from space right away. Okay, great. Then we learn he's invisible. Okay, interesting. Then we learn he's got heat vision. All right. He's very big and strong. Okay. (laughs) Advanced weaponry. All right. He can mimic us. It just keeps ratcheting it up over and over and over again. Cause it's again, and it's just what you talked about the subversion of, okay, nothing can beat Arnold. Arnold's this, this unstoppable machine. He's already been the Terminator at this point, for instance. Mm. Um, and so you come into this movie going, not only is it Arnold, but it's got this team of guys. Okay. What we're going to see is his team will be whittled down, but Arnold's never going to be in danger. Cause he's going to kill the shit out of this, this alien. But then, Again, you're like, I don't know, man. He's got heat lasers. He's got, you know, he can uh, sound like the rest of the team coming from the bush and pull you into a trap and all these things. And it's just again and again and again. Eventually you go, well, I don't know if Arnold's going to make it, (laughs) which is at this point in 87, 88, impossible to think of. And yet they've done it by the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. You're thinking he's at least going to lose a limb or an eye or something awful here or
1: maybe he's able to kill the predator but it'll take a self sacrifice right like he'll, he'll have to yeah. you know fall on the grenade so to speak to take this guy out
0: uh, exactly, like it'll be a self-sacrifice and uh, the, the woman he's protecting throughout the movie will like honor the sacrifice at the end. But
1: in a worse movie by the way, in a worse movie it would be romantic. There would be romantic, <laughs> exactly. there would be romantic overlo- overtones there and I'm so glad they don't go it's it's totally unnecessary. I love the fact that from the outset like Arnold doesn't want this job even when he is told the fake version of it. And then once he's once it's revealed what they were actually there to do, he's super pissed off about it and tries to like maybe you know leave them there in the jungle so to speak and then once they find out about the alien it's it's still it's like this is a man who doesn't want to be involved in any of this and yet is always willing to shoulder the burden and come out of it on the other side you know w- the winner it's I, god i just love it so much it's just such a great movie and again i think this this franchise has its highs and its lows. I think the Alien versus Predator movies, neither one are very good. The uh, the Shane Black one that they did a few years ago, The Predator, I think is the name of that one. Also not a good movie. Not good. But, but Predator 2, very schlocky, and it does not hold up nearly as well as this one, and yet the arc of the storyline and that hero's arc especially i think is well it stands equal with this one and or not equal perhaps but it stands alongside this movie and prey and then if you haven't seen it by the way predators which was the one with um adrian brody yes adrian brody mm-hmm. um and again that was sort of like going at it's a fun type, one we're not going to have a he-man there but but it is a real subversion in that it's set on a predator planet, or at least a a planet they control. It's not set on earth. So that is a very, very cool one. And like this one gives us a whole team of, of varied, um, you know, people who are exciting and interesting in their own right. So I think, I think, I, if, if Again, if my wife didn't hate the look of them, I would say we got to watch Predator. Then we'd probably skip all the way to Predators, and then we'd watch Prey. And then if she really liked them at that point, I'd I'd go back and show her Predator 2.
0: <laughs> you know, you're not wrong about the positive points you're bringing up about Predator 2. Uh, there's some good intentions in that movie, and the the arc of Danny Glover's character is interesting. And, and especially the ending kind of mirrors you know, the great ending of this movie. Uh, it's just, it's just so much slocky bullshit that surrounds that movie that makes it like not a classic, but it's, it's a B movie classic at least. Right. Uh, absolutely.
1: And there's a really great Gary Busey performance in it. <laughs> there's there's a good right. Bill Paxton performance in it. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. it's not quite game over, man game over, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and also that's the way you can complete the trifecta. You got to watch, uh, bill Paxton be killed by all the, the movie monsters. So (laughs) go, go see predator two.
0: These great directors love killing, uh, bill Paxton. Um, one, one
1: thing I want to mention before we leave this, this discussion, uh, Mike, and I haven't so far, I can't believe that I haven't crowed about this guy yet the general general phillips two small mm. scenes he's got the w- scene at the front where he you know kind of clues them into what they're doing and brings dutch and his team back into it and then at the end when they pick him up he's played by rg armstrong i did not know the connection until this rewatch but last year i discovered an arnold movie that i'd never heard of it's actually it's the first movie that he made after hercules in new york so for those that aren't arnold files like i am Uh, He comes to the States and his first film is a film called Hercules in New York, where he's dubbed actually Mm -hmm. um, by another actor. And then after that, he made this movie. It's called Stay Hungry. Jeff Bridges, Sally Field are the two main players alongside Arnold and RG Armstrong has a big role as well. A weird little movie. Totally see it if you're a fan of those three leads. Uh, But Armstrong plays a weightlifter and a gym owner uh, in that one. And obviously he and Arnold hit it off as you know, at this point, Arnold's calling the shots on who's in these movies, I'm sure. Right. And he brings, RGN uh, RG in for this small role, but Armstrong had a great career as, as like a, that guy he's in El Dorado, the Rio Bravo remake that John Ford did himself. He's in, uh, my name is nobody, which is one of my favorite Western comedies. If you like those sorts of uh, movies, um, the, the nobody trilogy, um, those are pretty good. He's in one of those. He's in children of the corn, which I'd forgotten about, but he's also in Dick Tracy and he's even in, He's in Willie Nelson's Redheaded Stranger, so he's a that guy for huh. sure. He definitely has a Dick Tracy face, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but he he's if you again, like if you go back and you really take a look at him, I guarantee you you're going to be where did I see that guy before? Go look at his his IMDb, and you're you're going to want to go back and watch a couple of these movies. I guarantee you.
0: Yeah, he's in two little scenes, but he's he's super memorable for sure.
1: Well, um, he just looks like. One of those guys, right? I mean, you could have just cast the guy who plays the general in the Rambo movies. but like, i I want a guy who looks like he lived one of these lives thirty years ago and has now been training, you know, these badass. He was already a badass a long time ago. And now he's been training and coaching and mentoring these badasses for the last twenty years um to send him off on this one last mission. It, this movie's like, seven different tropes all at once. It's like the men on a mission movie. It's like the double cross movie, like the bureaucracy double cross movie. It's, it's a, a hostage movie. It's the alien movie. It's, it's like, it's kind of a thriller at the end, like almost a slasher as he's stalking Arnold. It's, slasher, it's just, yeah, it's fantastic, man. And it was obviously a huge hit. Uh, it had
0: a budget of 15 million made right under a hundred million Correspond. A bajillion sequels and a franchise. You talked about the opening sequence with the alien ship uh, dropping off the Predator shuttle. That was apparently put in after the movie was shot due to studio notes. McTiernan did huh. not want it in the movie. He wanted the origin of the Predator to be more of a mystery and a surprise. Um, but the studio put it in to to better orient the
1: audience. I don't know. Would it, Would it have worked better without it? What do you think? I think it would have absolutely because like genuinely other than that. Sh- and in my head, this is the way that it played anyway, in my head, you're not even sure what this is, whether it's just the rebels with some sort of advanced tech, right? at right. first, or whether is there a supernatural element down here that we're not aware of? And then she starts talking about, you know, the demon from the jungle or, and the jungle came alive and all these things. And I'm like, you, I, if you hadn't put in that scene or you missed it. If you walk in, you know, halfway through the credits and you miss the spaceship, I think you could convince yourself that this is also, you know, they're going to fight Bigfoot or something until right before it's revealed.
0: It would have amped up the tension, at least in an already super tense movie. Um, some more about the the movie. A joke about the Rocky franchise apparently inspired the screenwriters to write this movie. The joke was that there were already four Rocky movies at this point with Rocky kicking everybody's ass in the ring, that the next Rocky movie was going to have to have Rocky fight an alien monster to have any stakes to it. So they thought, hey, what if we made that, but in the jungle, and also made it a, a subversive treatise on the fallibility of muscle man culture,
1: I guess. So I've I've heard that one. I've also heard, though, that wasn't there a Rambo script that had, I mean, years later after Predator, wasn't there a Rambo script that had him fighting a Predator-style alien? Yeah, yeah, there was, or like a werewolf or something like that. Something. Yeah. There was a supernatural Rambo at one point that was being kicked around, and it it, it never got made, obviously. But um, it, here's my big like what if to ask about this movie or, or why a historical interesting thing. Why didn't we ever get a Dutch sequel? Like, never mind a predator, like, leave the predator out of it. Why did we never see the character of Dutch again?
0: There were rumors floating around that he was gonna be, Arnold was gonna be, reprise the role of Dutch in the Shane Black sequel from 2018. And uh, at the end of that movie, the characters, spoilers for that terrible movie, at the end of that movie, the characters find some um, special space pod that is gifted to them as a weapon against the predator or there's like a weapon inside of it and they open it up and it's like this, this uh, techno suit, right? This uh, skeleton. Yeah. It's a power suit. Um, And so they, Oh, we can put that on for the next movie and fight the predator and be on the same level. Kind of a letdown. Right. Um, I read that the original or the rumor is that the original script had Dutch inside of the, um, of the probe and that was the weapon that humanity was supposed to use against the predators that they had cryogenically frozen dutch somehow and he wakes up as a badass and this is just like show me the predator i kill it now
1: you know yeah i mean i i do know i myself have joked about how many bad days can john McClane have especially once they got up to yeah. like 4 and 5 or whatever but you know dutch is literally a black ops military guy, why wouldn't he have another bad day? I'm and again, leave the predator out of it completely. Like you could just make a movie about him and another team of badasses going in to and again, he makes such a big deal earlier about we're not assassins, we're a rescue team. Like, boy, that's a hero I could get behind. We've talked to all about how he's empathetic and he he understands his teammates and he's adopting their strategies when they're the better path i'd love to have seen this guy again and i agree like now's not the time the only thing i want to see arnold do as far as movies now i would really love a king conan movie and i don't know if it's ever going to happen but like old conan on the throne is a movie that could have as much pathos and meaning for fans of his work anyway as unforgiven did for Clint eastwood's fans you know yeah i think he's got a legacy film in him and i I honestly think that Conan is the one to do it with. Um I don't know if he's interested at this point and I don't know if if Hollywood's interested in paying the money that it would take to make it happen, but that's the only thing that I really want to see Arnold do again. I liked I I will admit I liked when they rebuilt him for the last couple of Terminator movies, you know, we see him fight. There's a young one in which one Genesis. Yeah, he
0: looks it looked good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they look pretty good. And it's like, I'm not opposed to the fake Luke Skywalker that's bouncing around on Disney Plus and stuff. But by the same token, I I don't, at this point, I don't want to see young Arnold anymore. I just, I do wish they had made a couple of those Dutch movies back in the late 80s or the early 90s. I feel like this could have been a character that he could have revisited, maybe more successfully than any of his other characters, other than the Terminator, obviously Terminator two is such a good movie in its own right. Like I feel like that broke that whole franchise for everybody's understanding and they've never gotten back on top of it. Um, whereas with predator, I think genuinely, if you go look at them in an objective way, even some of the later ones like, like predators and definitely Prey, without Arnold hold up just as well. So it's interesting that he never revisited this franchise at all when he did willingly so many others. It is interesting. This is such a great
0: character for him. He's like at the top of his game here. I know this is before T2, which is an all-time Arnold movie. But here, he's he's playing a human. He's not being a robot. So he can be extremely charismatic and quippy and show off his tough guy swagger in such a big human way. This is a great role for him. I mean, he there's a scene where he throws a knife longer than my arm through a man's chest Pins him to a wall and then almost looks at the camera and says, stick around. And it
1: stick works. Stick around. It works, <laughs> like it works a million percent. It, listen, no one has ever delivered those ridiculous quips quite as well as Arnold. And I think, I genuinely think one of the, I, I think this is why I say he's, it's one of the reasons why I love him so much. And I genuinely believe he's undervalued as an actor. He, like many other actors does not have range but he knows what he is capable of delivering in a realistic, authentic way. And he just leans into it hard in his best roles, obviously. You know, he's got some schlocky performances for sure. But when he's at his best, I think he does what we kind of joke that Jack Nicholson, you know, Jack Nicholson spent 50 years just playing Jack Nicholson. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger has spent 40 or 50 years playing Arnold Schwarzenegger. And guess what? They're both really good at it. <laughs> and, and in another...
0: Another timeline. In the be- in the better timeline, we have a-, a series of Dutch movies over the decades, hopefully.
1: That's what I'm going to use AI for, Mike. I'm going to use AI go. to make me my Dutch movies. There you go. You'll be back. Uh, <laughs>
0: Joel, thank you so much for talking to me about Predator with with such passion and zeal. It was more than I could have hoped for. I super appreciate it.
1: I am super excited. Thank you for inviting me. And um, I love this series, by the way. The the idea of the essential sci-fi movies uh, is is really, really nice. If you're a movie buff, whether you've always been or you're just trying to get into it, I cannot recommend enough finding some things like this, some lists like this, to expose yourself to stuff that you wouldn't stumble upon otherwise. Personally, Mike, I did it. I started looking at people's lists on Letterboxd, you know, like the big list, like, you know, the AFI 250 and things like that, but, uh, individual lists as well. And I I've added so many things to my watch list and I've added so many things to my favorite movies of all time now that I never would have stumbled upon in a, in a world where you've got 19 streaming services that you're paying for and you're, you're paying $200 a month instead of 150, like we used to for cable. Uh, you've probably got access to these movies somewhere. So like take advantage of that, find the good ones and, uh, watch some, watch some fantastic film, sci-fi and otherwise
0: yeah agreed. What is your letterbox handle?
1: Uh, I'm at the rogue's life. I'm uh, at the rogue's life there.' I'm, it's the, my same handle on Instagram and threads and and pretty much all the places online that you want to find me. Um I was uh, I was in a performance of Twelfth Night uh in like my junior year of college and mm-hmm. uh I played Sir Toby Belch and he's got a great line Toby Belch obviously is like a rough draft for Falstaff so he's uh, drunk the entire play and he's uh sitting very drunkenly with a bruise on his head from an accident where he fell down and he curses late in the play says I hate a drunken rogue and so I had that for a long time on a t-shirt I had like down my sleeve was written a, a drunken rogue and, um, yeah, it's just stuck for then. I had a blog as that name for a while. I like that's where that comes from. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like the, the, I like the, the title, the, the definition of a rogue, I feel like describes me quite adequately. So I've stuck with this since then. The rogues life is where you can find me everywhere online. And what about, uh, your pod? Oh, yeah. So, uh, Articulate Coven is uh, the unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles and the Lives of the Mayfair Witches, as well as everything that AMC is doing with those properties. AMC, if you don't know this, has the rights to um, almost all of Anne's books. They technically don't have a, a handful of the solo books, but everything in the witch series, everything in the vampire series, they own the rights to make adaptations of, and so they are doing so. They've got the first season of Interview with the Vampire out, the second season is coming in may and the first season of mayfair witches is out it's not nearly as good but still we talk about all of that we talk about the novels and the films that have come before that's all at articulatecoven.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts or on youtube uh mike let me just throw in my uh plea for you here is this podcast on youtube i looked for it earlier and couldn't find it
0: uh it is audio only on youtube yeah youtube.com yeah slash intergalactic pod
1: that's all we do, too. We, we put up a little audiogram with our, our episodes every week and put them up there. But I just I know a lot of people that have uh, started doing all of their podcast listening on YouTube and Google's mm-hmm. for sure pushing it. So I wanted to make sure you were there, too. You can find us there as well if that's your preferred method.
0: Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. And uh, listeners, subscribe and follow the pod on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever. All those links are at intergalacticpod.co. We're on Instagram and threads at intergalactic pod. Find me online at Mike Moody Garcia on all the things. Thanks for listening.